We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Recorded live. We all be as under the heaven on the one and only Judge Joe Brown on his special day, his life affirmation day. But as a true public servant of the people, he is willing to share his time and his knowledge and wisdom with us today. And I just want to say, Judge, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm all right, young man. Thank you for asking. Yeah, but also I want to talk to you as well. You brought some interesting points up to me. Uh, we were having our conversation off the air, and you talked about how black women owe the black race because I brought the issue of maybe Barack Obama could have appointed a black female as a Supreme Court justice. You said no to that, and you gave a great reason why, or an interesting reason why. Well, it's an unfortunate circumstance. And let me give you just a little background on how I came to this conclusion. Back in 1972, I was working for a Washington, D.C. think tank. I was going between D.C. and Chicago. The name of the place was the Center for National Policy Review. And we were interested in coming up with material for a report to Congress on what was happening in the South as it concerned progress brought about by civil rights. So I had to read these slave pamphlets. They were on microfilm in the Library of Congress. And they went all the way back to 17, I think the earliest one was like 1704. And they were printed out, and they were kind of like these infomercials, you see. But the... Uh, in print, and the subjects were basically how to raise slaves for fun and profit. So it's obvious what the black man's deficiencies have been relative to the people and our neglect of our responsibility to protect our people, advance our people, and be willing to die to get ourselves free. However, that risk of death essentially has taken a form which popularly is the so-called civil rights struggle where essentially what you're doing is down on your knees praying while some racist beats you across your head until he feels guilty about it or his society feels guilty about it. And we need to atone for that. But however, the black woman has another thing that is very seldom touched on, and that was that the whole institution of slavery was said to depend upon her. There really was a William Lynch, a Willie Lynch, and somewhere in the early 1700s, he started touring the American colony. He was in the West Indies, and he was a plantation operator. And he had some basic uh, 
things about how to raise, breed, and control slaves. And the closest modern analogy I can give to this is the dog whisperer. You know the program where the guy goes mm-hmm. on and shows how to get the dogs under control so they're happy and obedient and all of this. And that's exactly what William Lynch was doing because the chattel slavery thing is basically French for cattle. So humans uh, have always kept slaves, but they were other humans kept as slaves. But chattel slavery was looking at the black man as a domestic animal, not a human. So they looked at it as two-legged cattle. Now, William Lynch had a secret, and his secret was to treat slaves like horses. He noted you can capture a wild herd stallion, but you can't ever really domesticate one. Mm-hmm. You can catch a wild herd mare, and you can domesticate her. And if you domesticate her, she will domesticate her offspring for you, so you will have domesticated horses. Just keep the wild stallion for breeding. So he noted that within the Negroes brought over on the boats, there were those who were dominant, but very few because most of them like that jumped off the boat, had to be killed, or didn't get caught. But relative to the ones that you did bring over, What you did is you set up a herd situation. He advised the plantation owners to let new crops of Negroes wander around and figure out who's going to be the chief, who's going to be the sub-chief. And then you watch carefully, and then you seize upon them one night, chain them up, strip them naked, tie them to something, and you brought all of the female slaves, the slave children, and the rest of the already domesticated slaves in the watch. And you would pick one of them that you wanted to breathe and mutilate him like cutting off a hand or something or a part of a foot so he couldn't run. And then the other one you want to sacrifice. So you would find a sodomite. And you would have the sodomite sodomize this person that had worked himself up to being sort of a substitute chief, humiliate him, torture him, etc., make him scream with the avowed purpose of having the female slaves see that they could not depend upon their men for any kind of help. And that would put in their heads the idea that the only thing you could look forward to was either a bad time or the favor of the white master. You would become a good domestic animal. In other words, when a dog comes in, wags his tail, you scratch him behind the ears. Okay? Mm -hmm. Jim Lynch and others said, never ever deal with slave men. Always deal with the women deal with the gray-haired older woman as the person that you pick uh, or or treat her as the person in charge. Always ignore and humiliate 
the older black men unless you have them in a position like being a butler or something like that mm-hmm. or as an overseer and he distinguished those categories so his secret was predicated on this he said negro women want grandchildren so they will be sure to raise their sons in a compliant fashion so that there was no risk of the slave owner selling them south, castrating them, or torturing and killing them so that they could selfishly get grandsons, granddaughters, and descendants. And he said one of the problems that he had had to deal with is in the fresh crops of new Negroes brought in from Africa, they did not want to breed because they did not want to bring children into this slave condition. So he said, one of the things you have to work on is getting the black woman to breed so you will increase your livestock. Mm. So his theory and the one that seems to have been carried out in these slave pamphlets that went on for another 150-some years uh, or any guideline is that you use the black woman to set slavery up it going, and you depended on her putting in her male children a certain attitude of compliance and fear. And that would result in complacent compliant slaves as nearly as is possible and always be on the lookout for those uh, anomalies where you would get a black man who would not listen to his mother growing up not listen to his mother telling him uh, he needed to have children so she could have grandchildren and him needing to look down at the ground, shuffle his feet, and do the yes, sir, no, sir, and all the rest of that. And from the time he was small, she would put in his head this abject fear of the slave master, this standard of compliance, this set of values that would keep him a slave if he adhered to Now, the closest thing I can point to right now so people can understand this is when you were a kid and if your mother told you if you don't go to church on Sunday, you can't go anywhere else. Well, that actually is part of the slave owner's plan or the method of raising slaves, just like this is how you train dogs, this is how you train slaves. And that's one of the most obvious, well, not really obvious, but most apparent carryovers from that slave thing. If you don't go to church on Sunday, you can't go anywhere else. So you keep the person into this mindset of submission and uh, compliance when it came to certain things like going to church or being a good slave. Now, unfortunately, even amongst black women who want to try and do right, 
areas, long carryover from mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother in society in general in the things that you put in your children's head. One of the interesting things that you've even seen joked about on these comedy shows is the mother saying, I brought you here, I can take you out. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of funny because that's almost the very language that I saw in these slave pamphlets that the slave owners wanted the slave mothers to take to the children. They would say that, and then they would add on top of, I can take you out, or the master can take both of us out if you don't do such and such. So even some of the things that we say right now are a direct carryover from what slave owners were trying to put in our heads as part of the training to make you a good slave. Their whole training regime depended upon the black woman enslaving her children for him and putting them of a mindset so they would be good slaves. If you look at a project, or at least the old time, they don't, you know, they do Section 8 now instead of public housing. But if you looked at it and you walked through it, say, in July, and you watched the half-dressed women hang around on the rear stoop of the apartment building, uh, dressed like hoochie mamas with a 40-ounce in one hand and a cigarette in the other, while all the kids just run around and homeboys roam trying to see if they can get laid and move merchandise. Well, that is what went on on a plantation, with the exception of the fact that on a plantation they had labor for the slaves to do. And nowadays that laboring function has been replaced with an idleness function because there are not enough jobs to go around in the economy. Mm-hmm. So, but if you watch what went on in an old-time project, you saw just exactly what went on in a slave plantation. The whole atmosphere of breeding so the master's herd would be increased and he could sell it off for profit or put it to work for profit. So not having machines on large plantations, they were generating two-legged cattle to act as labor units so that they could increase their manufacturing capacity or their farming capacity. So they wanted their livestock to breed. And one of the principal keys to getting this to happen on large plantations was the compliance and complicity of the black female slave upon which the entire industry depended. So we have a bad problem in our neighborhoods now in that too many of them are becoming matriarchs. Now, if you, say, use Twitter and you don't deal with the social stuff, but you go to the political side, which you can pick as as part of the menu option, you will see a very interesting thing right now in terms of feminism versus those who have become radicalized or more radicalized in a black fashion 
versus the conservatives versus a very few middle-of-the-road things, and it's become highly polarized. But you see this drive to get a woman in charge of this, a woman in charge of that, and they don't care. It's just supposed to be a woman. What has happened is that the way the black female has wound up culturally has become an ideal to white feminists in how you approach manhood. In other words, the discussions are very to the point of how black women have learned how to control their men and keep their men in their places. And they emulate that. That was set up for slavery. But now it becomes a role model for radical feminists who can't stand man. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very, very bad problem. And even black women who mean well exhibit some of the carryover and fallout from the slave period. The things they say, how they say it, how they approach their children, uh, even stuff like they want to put Vaseline or lotion on so the boys aren't ash. Well, mm-hmm. that, believe it or not, is a fallout on the slave owner's efforts to take even small things to make slaves feel inferior. It wasn't necessarily worrying about ash, but there was a whole thing in there about that in slavery and having slave women want to grease their children down so they weren't ashy, just as a, an additional something to put shame in the slave's mind. There's all kinds of stuff we do. Even the whole thing about preachers. There was advice toward the end of the slave period Uh, to have the plantation owner buy a stud or go in with his neighbors to buy a stud to keep the reproduction level up and make the stud the preacher. So you would go watch the slaves in church, and when they got happy, that was supposed to be a sign that the female was coming into estrus and would be fertile. So be sure to have the slave preacher visit the slave woman within the next three days so he could impregnate her and you would have extra livestock to sell off or to put to to labor. And there was all kinds of insidious stuff that goes on in there. So there are a lot of things that we see today that are a fallout from that. So I'm not trying to particularly down the system, but if we as a race are going to improve We all have to look at our situations. And as you put it, we all be. So we all are part part of the process of our own enslavement. See, that was the insidious part of it. All of these pamphlets were directed toward the point of having the Negro enslave himself, basically through enslaving her who would brainwash the male children so they became good slaves. And we have a legacy that we have to do something about. One of the other ones, by the way, you hear all the time, Carol, I'm going to have to 
tear him down to size. Yeah, honey, I hear you. You're going to have to break him down into manageable pieces to get that attitude out of him. That's exactly what the slave owners were taught to put in the minds of slave females. Mm-hmm. And we still get it. Hmm. And you hear the real crude ones where you might be out someplace at a mall and you hear one of those kind of black females yelling at her child out there in public and putting on a scene calling him the N-word and how she can't stand his daddy and how he's all this, that, and the other. See, that's classic slave methodology. How the females do that so their male children never became full men. Which is why I started this Man Up campaign, you know. Mm-hmm. Man Up Monday, first Monday of every month, man time, man power, men to the forefront because it's necessary for black men because we've never done that. And what we call being men in our neighborhoods typically becomes part of the big problem. You know, yo, man, what's up, man? You know, like, hey, you moving merchandise? Yeah, man, you know, like, and see what we do is directed toward tearing our neighborhoods up, taking us out of the picture, keeping us down, and that's how we look at getting money. So, in other words, homeboy trying to move merchandise, he's got his hoes, blah, blah, blah. His method of acquiring some advancement is also the primary method of keeping him down as a collective. See, these are things that we don't even realize that by necessity we have to overcome. I guess there's a pause in there. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of information to take in. I'm glad you were able to explain uh, your point of view on this issue uh, because I know uh, it seems like it's not a theme, but it is a lack of, of black leadership, especially black male leadership, because even you look at the Black Lives Matter situation, you got a lot of you know black LGBTQ people that are leading that effort but it seems like, you know, when you talk about black feminism, that there's some perceived notion of some type of black male uh, patriarchy that's keeping them down. And I just don't see white feminists saying that type of stuff with white men. Well, no, but they are saying that was what the whole Hillary Clinton thing was about. Remember the premise that the white feminist has looked up to the black woman as a role model on how to keep men in line. Yeah. Well, you notice most of the discussion, if you on Twitter or you look at something else, is about what woman's going to be the next presidential candidate. You see, Hillary was just not fit to be president of the United States, but it didn't matter to them because she was a woman. Kamala mm-hmm. Harris, the first black female senator, and they want to push her or they want to push this woman. And what the process is, is push the women for the leadership position. And that is sort of a, hey, you did it to yourself, white folks. You put this in slaves, and now, you know, 150 years later, it's coming back to bite you because your women are adopting 
the methodology or the outlook that you put in the head of your female slave. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is to pick women for leadership roles. And this has always been my primary criteria for making a personal assessment of whether this, that, or the other woman is worth listening to. It's simple. If she complains about men not letting women do this, that, and the other, forget it. She's not worthy of listening to. Women who are worth listening to are like men who are worth listening to. They don't have to ask for permission to do something. They do it. They don't complain for 10 minutes, 5 minutes about why they can't speak. They go say what they have to say, which is on point for the discussion, not interrupting it to complain about not being recognized. You hear a woman say, this is what, you know, why don't men do this? Men don't let, forget her. She's not rich. In other words, it's like if you got to ask the price, you can't afford it. That kind of thing. Right. If you got to say that, you aren't ready. And see, I put in a negative little blurb on Kamala Harris because, uh, hey, while we will be, you made that statement about your white Republican colleagues were intimidating you in committee, and you go on Twitter and start asking women to come in and help you stand up to these men and use their influence. You aren't ready for your position. You are supposed to be able to stand up on your own. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And they they sued her, but you know I've been a, I was the first black prosecutor in Memphis for the city of Memphis when they had criminal jurisdiction, and I know there are a lot of things you can do to stem the tide. It is we are always going to jail because you can craft some stuff that if you got a judge to go along with you could be used for some constructive social engineering. But she took credit for all of the people she took out of the inner city to make it safer and put in the penitentiaries when what you ought to be doing is taking the opportunity to use coercion to correct the people in the inner city if you can so that they would become men and lead the communities. But you see, women typically, particularly black women, don't want men to lead. So when you start talking about black leadership, they don't get it. Some of them do. Excuse me, I'm generalizing. But if you look at video of the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, you saw very few men and a whole lot of women that were busy trying to act like they were leaders. You look at something and it concerns the Black Panther Party, you've got these brothers that are looking strong, confronting the line of police looking good, but then you got some big heavy set woman out front posturing like she's in charge of the whole operation. You see these subtle things coming out. It's mm-hmm. like if you go someplace to a political meeting, you got a whole bunch of sisters standing up being in charge, you know, and loud talking and over talking everybody else. Yeah, you do notice some things. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I have noticed that. 
and white women are beginning to emulate that, particularly the, the feminists. So I'm just, you know, maybe one day, but not right now, because I'm not worried about women's rights on the feminist side. I'm worried about black people as an endangered group. You know, we are getting condemned to the landscape of the penitentiary and, you know, a historical footnote that I don't like. So my concern is we've got to serve as a people. And this tendency now for black women to be in charge of everything that is supposed to positively push people forward is not good because black women don't look at stuff like uh, it should be when it's termed with power. Mao said power goes out of the, grows out of the barrel of a gun. The Black Panther Party adopted that back in the 60s. I don't know if the new resurgent one has. And it was kind of the situation where even if you don't get that extreme, at least adopt the manly arts. So we've got some black gun clubs growing up around the country. Right. But on the other hand, we've got all of the black women and their running dogs going around. We need to get all of the guns out of the neighborhood. No, you don't need to get the guns out of the neighborhood because as you may be aware, looking at the media that's now paying attention because it gets them ratings and stay tuned so they can get advertising dollars. Uh, the white people are arming to the teeth. Now, I'm not saying they're inherently bad, just like any other people, but small-minded people of any race get rather xenophobic about what's wrong with my situation. Well, it's not me, but it's some other people that are causing it. Mm. See, that's that whole anti-Islam thing that you're seeing hearing now. Uh, I pointed out to somebody, I said, look, what is this about the flag? I said, well, all of the Americans who died defending the Constitution in the Civil War, more of whom died in that war than in all the rest of the wars combined, and you want to honor the flag of the people who killed them, you don't get that, you know, even if you don't get it as to why black people won't like it. But you see, when it comes down to let's take an ultimate step against that, we get women coming out there being reasonable like women do, and what it is is essentially an effort to diffuse things. Now, it used to be that when a woman walked in a room and there were a bunch of guys and everybody was being rowdy, people would say, oh, man, hold up, man, there's a lady present. Oh, I'm sorry. Man, chill out, basically. Now when the woman walks in and she's the craziest acting person in the room or at least on the same level as the craziest, you know, that doesn't work. When mama is loud and cusses and acts a fool, it doesn't work. Uh, when you are a young boy and you walk in and your mother is down on the couch or the sofa half naked with her girlfriend and they're going through a lesbian thing, that doesn't work. When you hear your mother, your aunts, and
and their girlfriends and your grandmother talk about men like honey, they're nothing but dogs, that doesn't work. When you say if you don't go to church on Sunday, you can't go anywhere else, that doesn't work. Because, in other words, what you're doing is you're constraining your boy child into a negative ideation. In other words, it's not go forth and do this. It's you can't. If you don't sit in there and listening to them brainwash you, then you can't. If you don't put up with this, then you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But go study. It's you got to go to church on Sunday. So you can hear the preacher, but you don't hear that about getting that book and find out how to do math so you can rise above your situation. Staring down the sides, not, honey, you can do this. I know you can. Baby, if you got to die behind this, uh, I'm I'm there for you. You don't hear that. women say, Judge, I'm praying about my son. I'm just so nervous. You know, it's so dangerous. Uh, what am I going to do? I just worry all the time that somebody's going to kill him. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to die anyway. So why don't you do him, yourself, and everybody a favor and start teaching him that he ought to be a warrior. Learn the skills. Learn how to be articulate. Get something in his head. Learn how to shoot a gun. Mm-hmm martial arts classes so if necessary he can die for a cause rather than just being a passive victim like a deer walking around and the hunter zeroes in on him squeezes the trigger and he's got venison for the freezer venison for the freezer Hmm. see how do you think about these things I said, uh, and I, I think one of the highest compliments you can play a black woman now is to call her a Spartan mother. And why is that? Spartan mothers were uh, known in antiquity for telling their sons, either come back with your shield or on it. In other words, do or die. Hmm. Yeah, good. I was thinking about, there's so many things I want to Yo, you touch on so many things in a short period of time, but I was thinking about you talking about the right for us to use arms and stuff like that. I'm thinking about the fact why is the NRA, the National Rifle Association, so quiet on cases like Philando Castile, where he had concealed the he had concealed the carry. Like you got black folks getting killed by police and they got concealed to carry. They have the right, you know, to carry their guns. But yet, you know, they're getting killed and the NRA is not saying anything too much about it. Well, here's the problem. If you buy a magazine and it says it's July and it says the magazine, it's going to say on the cover when you buy it in July, it's going to have August edition if it's a monthly. Right. It's going to contain in there articles that were not written in July, not written in June, not written in May, but probably in April because there's that lag time on editing. NRA being a large organization has a publication known as the American Rifleman and some other stuff. They send out mailers when there is a crucial piece of legislation they want the members to support. They could engage in a phone campaign. Now, 
it takes lead time. Now, I'm not trying to excuse them, but I am a life member. Mm-hmm. Just because I think the Second Amendment is very important, particularly to black people. And the magazines, the magazines that are out right now from the NRA have stuff in them that predates what happened with the Castillo verdict. Mm-hmm. So you haven't heard anything on that. Here's the thing. They've got a current theory that black people ought to be well aware of. The NRA for the last decade has been pushing the point that gun control originated in the South as the method to keep ex-slaves disarmed. And then Jim Crow came along to ensure that black people could not become well-armed so that they could stand up to it. They passed the laws and the cops and the sheriff turned head the other way when it came to white people. But eventually all that origin for gun control became distant memory and the habit of gun control spread to the rest of the country. So the NRA has taken the position that gun control is a racist issue that started off to keep black people in a secondary position. Now, that's their official posture. They've had editorial after editorial pushing that point. So I find it interesting. They've also been trying to recruit uh, a lot of black people to join And one of their things is that official policy thing, and believe this, this is crazy, black people ought to arm themselves to be able to resist criminal activity in their own communities and also for the purpose of being able to resist, believe it or not, KKK, Aryan nations, you know, white supremacy type thing. Uh, You wouldn't associate that with that organization, but that's what they're doing. Now, out there right now is a really dumb video that's purportedly put out by the NRA. It's really nasty, and it's insulting the black people. Now, they engage in phone campaigns, and I don't know at this point whether which side is correct or not, but I've been getting calls saying that's not an official or that's not a real NRA effort. It's fake, and some so-called liberals have been putting this out to discredit the NRA with the black community to offset their recruitment efforts and to get black armed so they can defend themselves with uh, something that will serve as a wedge so that black people can be more passively disarmed. So I don't know, but it's out there. I just say that. I, I don't have the sufficient information. I don't have sufficient information right now to mm-hmm. say one way or the other. I just know I'm getting called 
like they do there with these phone banks, so this video is fake. It's not Dan or any. I don't know one way or the other, but it's out there. But, see, we have to be careful about what we push. We always get somebody black talking about get the guns out. Well, long time ago, somebody said, you dis- don't disarm a free people because slaves don't know how to handle weapons or slaves may misuse Now, I got told about 25 years ago, 20 years ago, by a gun store owner. He's now dead. Mm-hmm. And I had done some legal work for him when I was an attorney. And we got to be close, and I can't call him a racist because in his will, he asked that a certain black preacher perform his funeral services, and that happens. So, you know, you get a white man asking for a black preacher, well, maybe he thinks we're closer to Jesus or whatever than white people are, but that shows an interesting attitude toward the race thing. But anyway, he told me, he said, Joe, he said, if I was black, I'd buy up every case of ammunition and every gun I could afford because my people think you're going to rise up in the middle of the night and cut their throats and they're arming in the teeth, arming to the teeth in anticipation of having to kill all of you. Mm. Wow. So I thought it was embarrassing, but Joe, Joe, man, can I ask you a favor? What's wrong, man? Man, I think somebody's trying to burglarize my police. place. Could I borrow a piece? like a pistol. Yeah, man. No. You should have bought one instead of that last suit or those shoes. And you should learn how to shoot it. The manly art of self-defense to protect yourself and protect your family. I'll get off into another thing, too. You've heard all of this to do with black folk attacking, what is it, Stand Your Ground that came up in that Trayvon Martin Zimmerman thing? Yeah. Well, see, that's wrong. The person that had to stand your ground right was not Zimmerman. It was Trayvon Martin. But because CNN et al. were out on an anti-gun thing, they flipped the script. And they led you to the impression that the justification that Zimmerman was using to kill Trayvon was stand your ground. That's not what the case was. They talked about the castle doctrine, but the castle doctrine only applies if you're inside a home and they're standing out on the streets. You see, Zimmerman feared for his life when Trayvon's beating his head into the pavement. Well, Zimmerman was armed. He was the aggressor. He attacked Trayvon. Trayvon had the right to stand his ground. He didn't have to run. And when he saw Zimmerman was armed with a pistol and capable of vesting deadly force, Ravon had a right to take Zimmerman's life, hence beat his head on the sidewalk. See, that wasn't even played up as part of the theory. Another thing that was suppressed on the request of Anderson Cooper was the information that Trayvon's grandfather was a lieutenant detective on the Miami Police Department. Hmm. See, it 
didn't fit the image they were trying to generate for purposes of keeping you uh, in a position to say, I'm going to stay tuned so they would get ratings. If you knew that, you would like to get titillated by, is this a hood rap in a hoodie and a, you know, upstanding Jewish person rather than an OG Cuban gangster who's 27 years old with a long rap sheet of violence. See, it would have played out differently, and there would have been a different kind of attitude toward the whole situation. I was in a bar when the verdict got announced, and it came up on TV, and this white guy sitting nearby said, well, Where's Zimmerman? Well, that's it. No, that's not. That's a Hispanic. I said, that's Zimmerman. What? Okay, Zimmerman's Jewish. No, he's not. It's just that a lot of Jewish people went down to Cuba when um, Batista was in charge, and it was a free red-like country where all sorts of crimes, prostitution, drugs, rackets, gambling, were run. Uh, so a lot of Jewish people, men came down there to take a vacation and they left some, you know, Zimmerman babies. <laughs> so, OG Cuban gangster, and in that area, one of the forms of initiation is just like they've got on the West Coast. Foolish stuff instead of third world unity, you've got. Uh, Latinos trying to do in black folk and vice, vice versa is gang initiation. Same thing, but you got uh, Cubans from first generation Cuban immigrants who got run out by Castro. They've got gangs and they have initiations involving go jack up somebody black. See, if I'd been the DA, I would have investigated that angle. With Zimmerman out there on the prowl, you know, not because he's protecting the community, but because he's trying to move up in gang status by, you know, let me go jack up some black kid. Man, his father was a white Jewish guy that was a judge, right? Well, no. Mm-mm. The Zimmerman, this is the family name from Cuba. There were a lot of those that came out. See, Zimmerman has a long record of thugism, violent assaults. Not just one or two, but six, seven, six or seven cases throughout his history. But you see, CNN suppressed that because it didn't make the story as interesting as it otherwise might have been. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware of that. But that goes back to this whole thing of like, Uh, What are you going to do with so-and-so? We need you to support sister so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Well, what brother is running for the position? I'm sorry, I can't do that. I I sound like a chauvinist, but the point of the exercise is, is if my people are going to get where they need to get, then they need to establish the principle of male leadership and make it firm. You want to put the sister on the $20 bill in place of that racist bigot Andrew Jackson. I can understand the move to replace him because he's like 
Well, the President of the United States, but he's most closely akin to Nathan Bedford Forrest or Jefferson Davis, and he was known during his inter- uh, Indian campaigns of locking up women and children in a stockade and burning them to death. Uh, so you can replace him, but before you put the woman who escorted 200-some runaway slaves north on the Underground Railroad, that that's heroic. I, I don't take anything from her and have a picture of her with a head rag on the uh, $20 bill. Uh, how about Frederick Douglass, who galvanized the... Uh, abolition and uh, movement before the Civil War and is directly responsible to a great extent with promoting the idea that this is about freeing the slaves because you cannot have a free state when you've got slavery as a bottom line condition. You know, he impacted millions and where is our brother first, you know? Every other race, you've got a man up there, but they put a black woman up. You see, that's part of that thing that I was reading 45 years ago about put the black woman on the forefront so it will keep the men down because you don't have to worry about women because they are sex objects. But for goodness sakes, make sure that the black men are down and subdued because they are dangerous. Uh, the closest parallel I can give you to that is like chimpanzees. We all see the cute chimps in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. They're all female. They can't use a male chimp because he's a lot bigger and stronger. And sometimes if he cops an attitude, he might rip the handler's arm right off of his body. Mm-hmm. He's strong enough to do that. So every time you see a chimp, you see a cute, compliant female chimp. You don't see a dangerous male chimp. They have to be suppressed and just used for research and breeding, and you might want to look at them in the zoo. Mm. You see, that's what they do with black people. You keep the female out front. You interface with her because potentially the black man is dangerous like that male chimp. But instead of keeping him behind bars or in a natural habitat behind armored glass, what you do is you keep him in a prison made by his own mind. And that prison is to a great extent made for him by his mother. So that, I think, is a synopsis of one of our big problems as a black uh, race. The males are dangerous or potentially dangerous unless they are imprisoned. You can't put all of us in a real jail cell, so you put us in a mental prison, and you have our mothers put the mental prison in our minds. So black women have to get away from that and start teaching their sons like Spartan mothers taught their sons to be warriors and for a worthwhile cause to be willing to die. And until that happens, as a race, we go no place. I think that's what I wanted to say on the front end. 
Yeah, yeah, as well. I mean, a lot of information that we got to consider. Now, I think about what you said about the and um, Harry Tubman being placed on the bill with uh, Andrew Jackson. And I recently told a Tennessee historian at this lynching commemoration in Alamo, Tennessee. He runs a magazine for children about Tennessee history, and he wrote an article about this lynching of this guy named Joe Boxley from the twenties. This nineteen-year-old black man was lynched. Um, accused of raping a white woman he worked for, which was not true. And uh, so he was saying that he had to write an article because, like, talking about lynchings are not kid-friendly. It's not kid-friendly. But I said, talking about Andrew Jackson is not kid-friendly. Coming because Andrew Jackson had, he had a black mistress, a mistress, excuse me, a, a bad wench that really uh, supported him and protected him. And, I mean, she was married to a black man, but she still slept with Andrew Jackson. Yeah, she had no problem with it. And she was snitching on everybody who wanted to run away. <laughs> so he had a black woman that was loyal to him. I think her name was Hannah, if I'm not mistaken. Then I was thinking about the NRA piece, what you said about you know black folks protecting themselves. This past weekend was the 100th anniversary of the East St. Louis massacre. They had it back in 1917 because you had white folks who were mad at black folks supposedly taking their jobs at the factory. And they was crossing the union line. A lot of people would say that the union was made to keep black folks from working as well. See a lot of white labor people massacring, killing black folks at will. You also had black men fighting back, shooting it out with the white supremacists over in East St. Louis, which is not always talked about. But you can read the primary sources. They were speaking in guns with the funeral, the, the, the guy who ran the funeral home for black folks in East St. Louis. They were coming back from St. Louis, taking folks to St. Louis, and coming back with a hearse full of guns. Yeah, exactly. We don't do that. Yeah, we don't. Not like now. Yeah. Oh my God, we need to get rid of the guns. We can't buy look, foes. Uh uh-uh. <laughs> You know, but you're exactly right, young brother. But let me make a caution since you put that in there. Okay. The caution is this: America runs in hundred-year major cycles and fifty-year minor cycles. What you're talking about was 100 years ago. Look at all of this stuff about police shooting black people now. It's not so much that it didn't happen before. It's just that the media didn't cover it before because they had content on their drama shows, comedy shows, and other stuff, and now they don't. So they want you to stay tuned for advertising purposes. So you watch the commercials of the sponsors that give them the money that makes their income. Mm-hmm. So they have too many competing forms of entertainment besides broadcast television these days. So they want you to stay tuned. So they hype mm-hmm. that stuff. But the bottom line is, is that it's dangerous what they hype and even though it is it is a revelation that there is a tension in this country that's resulting in white supremacists coming to the forefront. You got a Monuments Act from the state legislature in Tennessee 2016 so that you can't take down a Johnny Reb War Memorial without the permission of Nashville. So that you've got a resurgence of the KKK, the Aryan Nation, the Nazis, and such like. You see, that's what you're talking about, the riots 
that occurred in 1916, 17, 18, 19, and 20. And see, there was a Detroit riot, but they were white race riots. Right. See, and that's what we're getting attention on now. And then the 50-year cycle is 1965 up to 2015, 2017, 18, 1968. You've got all sorts of things that led to black uprisings. Mm -hmm. Also, you get another thing, too, 1865, the Civil War, 1965, L.A. riots. Chicago, Detroit, all sorts of places were throwing down. So it's a time of tension and maybe commensurate with 50 years ago, what I'm seeing will continue to progress on to some hope. And that is we are getting radicalized again and there are black people who are talking quietly about something's got to be done by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. And all of this police shooting stuff, I'm predicting that there's going to be a kamikaze response where somebody just says, oh, hell no. And, you know, like that brother that they gunned down, you know, Castillo, when he said, I've got that coward gunned him down. See, one of them is going to say, okay, you just shot me to hell with it and shoot back. I mean, but, you know, in the July last year, you had Gavin Long, the Baton Rouge uh, Rouge shooter, after Alton Sterling and the Dallas shooter, Michael, I think Michael Johnson or Michael X down mm-hmm. in Dallas. So you had this, yeah. and the East St. Louis riot was actually started by the East St. Louis Police Department, which is yeah. interesting. You're talking about the police. The Memphis Massacre was started by the police. The yeah. Memphis police. So, I mean, like, it is. It's coming. It's coming around. A ninety-two riot in L.A. was stopped by police. Detroit, sixty-seven. Right. Riot was started by the highway so, patrol, jacking some guy up out in the watch. That's right. And then sixty-seven Detroit, the police started it too, right? The sixty-seven yeah. riots of Detroit. So they really start these things, but yet they blame us. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we live. They keep talking about post-traumatic stress syndrome. Hell, if you go up in a black hood, you've got a continuous input to developing post-traumatic stress syndrome that never gets to be post. It's present traumatic stress syndrome. You know, and I know, see, when 65 riots went down, I was 18 years old. And mm-hmm. I know that in my life at that time, even in Los Angeles, well, Los Angeles probably has the worst police in the country when it comes to jacking folk up. Mm-hmm. That's the real life Gestapo. Mm-hmm. They are the worst in the United States of America. Even the Deep South, it wasn't that bad. They were just cold, methodical instead of being good old boy, pot bellied. Uh, Sheriff Bubba Williams, you know, right. was uh, Hanks and Fritz of the Gestapo and the SS you had to deal with out there in those black mm. uniforms they wore. You know, so you've got to look at that whole thing in terms of where this is going and 
it's a crunch time. And we have to put manhood back into this because right now, I guess black men is kind of like this laying in the cut, you know, just checking stuff out, nodding your head like, yeah, this ain't right. This ain't right, man. Right. Something ain't wrong, man. This wrong, man. But then you got the sisters jumping up and down, agitating, being loud and wearing dashikis or, well, not dashikis, but African robes trying to look pretty and getting their nails done so they can come out in a protest, you know, that ain't it either. So I back to the thing I was saying about what happened to me, I kind of digressed. It's like with all of this stuff going on, by the time I got 18 and the L.A. riots hit, I was angry. I stayed angry. It was just years and years of, hey, you, come here. Mm-hmm. And I ain't doing nothing. Now on the wall. Damn, man. I'll take you downtown. Don't do nothing. They keep you 24 hours and you got to borrow a dime, find a dime to make a phone call so somebody can come get you. You know, that, that stuff just built up rage in you. And I don't have to put up with that stuff directly anymore. I'm way past that. But it's bad. And by the way, one of the things we got to get away from, you see how I put that? I got away from it. Mm-hmm. The Lord has blessed me. Right. First, let me give praise to the Almighty. You know, we got to stop thinking like that. That's part mm-hmm. of that. If you didn't go to church on Sunday, you couldn't go anywhere else. And we have to stop assigning causality and credit to a third entity and put it back in ourselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, I don't care about who you prayed to and Jesus blessed you. I want to know what your plan was. What did you actually do to make this work? What happened to make it not work? You know, that's that woman thing. They want you to pray because women historically have felt powerless. They couldn't pick up the broadsword, the shield, the asagi you know, the spear, the war club, and fight it out. They just prayed for the outcome, for whatever gods they prayed to. We might have uttered up a prayer to whatever God, God, whatever it may have been that we had adopted at that point in existence and say, help me out, but then we went out and did it. See, we were in control. But the black man has put himself or been put in a position where it's almost feminist. We don't look at life as something we can control. Now, just about every other male culture on the planet looks at it as subject to control because they've got an ultimate end to it. You know what it is? You die on purpose or put yourself in a position where you're likely to die doing something about your condition. And we all want to get to heaven, but Fred to find out if there is one, and we pray about it instead of doing about it. Like if you've got Comcast and you go to Xfinity, they've been running this advertisement for some whatever nondescript black production, and he says, boy, you just, this woman says, boy, you just put your fight in prayer and let God do it for you. No, you don't. You get ready to go throw down yourself. 
that's a classic example of the poison that's been put into our head by the way black women have been in cult, uh, acculturated. So they put that nonsense in your head. You fight through prayer instead of fighting with your own two hands and by your own mind, and you collectivize with your other brothers to do the same thing. Now, that's a positive evil. But we look at a positive evil as our major way of getting someplace. It's all about the power of prayer. No, it's not. It's all about what you do. Just, I was thinking about what you were saying. I mean, like you're talking about our manhood, uh, protecting our black manhood. And I keep on finding myself thinking about Bill Cosby. Because Bill Cosby... You know, he was fond of Miss Proud and whatnot. But he's done so much for black folks. I know people don't want to talk about this and say it doesn't justify whatever he did or didn't do in his private life, but he has done so much for black people. He took on the powers that be to try to buy a network. Some people believe that his son was killed because he tried to stand up to the powers that be to control our image in the media. And he still tried to do that years later, and now all this other stuff came about. But I see how we treat our own. Because, like, black folks don't have a problem talking bad about our own, you know, and we, I saw what they did in D.C. with Ben's Chili Bowl when they erased his mural and put up Dick Gregory's and uh, Dave Chappelle and Barack Obama, whatever. But it seems like we don't really support our own at all on any level at all. We're willing to throw our own under the bus, and which is really sad, especially somebody who did so much for black people. Yeah. See, this is another thing, too. I'll say this, having worked in the criminal justice system for a long time, rape is really one of the worst crimes. It's despicable for a man to rape a woman. Right. So much of what's called rape is not really rape. And these feminists are trying to get charges invented that can be labeled rape by seduction. In other words, you take the woman out, she's got a good time going with you, the mood is right, you get the kissing, hugging, petting, foreplay, she's impassioned and she wants it and you want it and you have it. They want that to be rape because they say that's rape by seduction. Okay. So with that in place, you have with the whole bit with Bill Cosby, you know, you take down a black man by accusing him of sexual impropriety, outright rape or anything else. And you saw that Thing that was about to go big about that Bachelor in Paradise. Right. That woman got a little tipsy and talked about she didn't remember it and she got molested. And when you look, when they looked at the video, which they took of the whole thing, she got naked. She was drinking, but so was everybody else. You can see she's lucid. She jumps in the water, throws herself around the homeboy, puts her stuff up in his face, and then they get on the side of the pool and have sex. So then she's talking about she got molested. She got on top of him from what I've heard reported. So, you know, what would it have looked like if we had seen what went on between Cosby and these women if it had been put on video? Now, there are three terms that apply to what happened with the Cosby situation. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what was going on then. This is at the tail end of the sexual revolution 
free sex and all of that. And these girls went in. They wanted them some black celebrity, and they wanted the D, and they came in, and they wanted the drugs and everything else. That was part of that whole game. So it was the hot thing to do. They got what they wanted, and then they had the equivalent of buyer's remorse afterwards. I didn't want to do that. I shouldn't have done that. What got in me? Why did I go through this period? Well, hell, you'd been to these parties over several years, and you'd screw a whole lot of people you couldn't even recognize when you ran into them again, but now it's not your fault. It was the drugs, and they they made me do it, and then you listen to a feminist put that stuff in your head if you're a woman about it's not your fault. They're all dogs. You know, they did this to you. Uh-uh. Not if you keep going back over there. It's like I had a rape trial one time, and it was supposed to be an aggravated rape, and it took place where the victim claimed she got raped in this guy's convertible. So there came a part in the testimony where he's supposed to be raping her in the back seat of the convertible. There's no gun involved, but she climbs up off of him, climbs over the side of the convertible, reaches in the front seat, gets her purse, gets her car keys out of the purse, walks across to the other side of the parking lot, opens up her car door, reaches in the glove compartment, and gets two rubbers, and then comes back and puts the rubber on him, gets on top, and that's supposed to be a rape. Wow, that is crazy. Well, you know, the case went nowhere, but, you know, there had been a whole lot to do about this horrible rape. He was a little touched in the head, but she was like, wait a minute, where are we going to hear about the rape? And then she had two orgasms. So it's like, oh, fine. You climbed on top of him, then you decided to hold on, stop, let me go get some protection out of the car, put it on, and you walk across a parking lot, you've got your car keys in your hand, you turn around, and instead of leaving, if it was a rape, you come back, put a prophylactic on him, get back home. Wow. Like I said, rape is a horrible thing, but that's if it's a real rape. It's horrible to be accused of rape if you didn't do it, though. Like Even though you might be exonerated in court, it's a stain that still stays with you. Yeah. It ruins people's reputation. And see, I've heard, and I told you how I heard this. I won't go into it on the air, but let's just say that that famous episode of Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy. Right. Uh, she didn't just sing. She did a strip tease, got stark naked. She said, Kennedy down in the chair, pulled his pants around his ankle, down to his ankles, gave him a head job and swallowed when he finished. And this was all in front of the White House press corps and not a peek got out into the newspapers. Mm. Different date. Now, you know, they've got this feminist mindset, so you play everything like it's tabloid journalism and the gossip column that used to be on the back page of the last, uh, last section in the newspaper, you know, you make that front page or television. 
So now the first thing is they want to know what kind of sexual innuendo can be put on secretary of this, uh, head of that, CEO of this, president, vice president, senator, congressman, whatever it may be. What's he been up to sexually? So Mm -hmm. you can see guys like Bill Cosby, who had been in the public eye, were celebrities, and they could take advantage of sex, drugs, and rock and roll by a whole lot of groupies and wannabes and I want the experience of having sex with a famous black man who's supposed to be well hung. You know, I can get some of that and brag to my friend girls. And then 35 years later, you're old, wrinkled, and has been, and you want to get a little restoration. And somebody like uh, Gloria Aldridge has been telling you it wasn't your fault. And, oh, by the way, I can file this, embarrass somebody, and we can get a settlement even if we could never win a trial. Mm. See, it's all a game. And it's a sick game because right now you've got these feminists who started out being mostly white who were angered because their white men were in charge of the world, ran everything, and they were envious because when the throw of the genetic dice went, they didn't wind up with the penis. Now, I mean, it's like there was an exchange I got into on Twitter about motherhood. And it seems that some of the women, and if you looked at their profiles, they were all older white women, were very, and a few younger, dowdy-looking ones, never the pretty ones. And they were very upset about the concept of motherhood. Some women didn't want to be a mother. They were afraid of it or they couldn't. How dare I say motherhood was so important in defining a woman? And my answer basically was, I'm sorry, but, you know, Mother Nature slash evolution didn't really have your... uh, lack of enthusiasm about being a female in put itself into how the next generation of the species get here. Wow. And of course, you know, there are women who are mothers and they said motherhood, you know, is a great thing. But you see, it's a 50-50 throw of the dice. Uh, a woman has a child and a 50-50 chance of it being a male or a female. You know, they keep pushing this woman's agenda about women getting left behind, but the statistics are clear. You know, 42% of Americans 35 and under were born to single mothers. Those single mothers cheated those boys because what you see now is for the last 20 years, on average, just 28% of each year's high school graduates are boys. On average, just 32% of each year's undergrads are boys. On average, just 36% of the grad students each year are boys. So there are no fathers involved for 42% of the American public, 35 and under. So where do you think all of this sea change came about when it comes to what boys are doing? And they're only 44% of the workforce. 
So how do you think that came about? In 45 years, you get this growth and popularization of female single parent head of household by choice on multiple occasions, and you get this downturn from 50-50 in high school graduates, you only get 28%. You get more men in college than women, but now you only have 32% of the college students are male. Grad students used to be the male thing, but now they're only 36% of the grad students. How do you think that came about? That's because there were no fathers in the home. And there is a stupid thing that's being pushed by the Washington Post and a couple of other newspapers back east that the reason you don't have males in the workforce is because they're playing video games. Well, let's try this one. Maybe they're playing video games because there are no fathers in the household to say, "Uh uh-uh, enough of that. Uh, Go do your homework. Right. And the mothers go along with, well, it's the easiest thing to do to maintain peace in the household. I don't know what to do with him. He's 15 now. But then again, you know, that's how they look like they're going to be fighting war in the future. Somebody behind a video game console. And the military has already noted that those who can play video games well can use the modern weapons well. So maybe that's just a substitute of learning the manly arts, but you learn it on a collective basis, and instead of mano y mano uh, up front, you got a drone ranger in the White House like Obama who authorizes by his orders all of these assassinations by remote drones, and you got somebody sitting in a reclining chair with a remote control device playing a video game with a drone and blowing somebody up with a hellfire missile. It's all kinds of things going on to tie into this big picture. But the real deal, we're at the bottom of it, and at the very bottom of the entire society of Americans, you find black men. And basically, that's because our mothers raised us to be in that position. Not by the big things they do, some of them mean well, but by the little subtle things, starting with if you don't go to church on Sunday, you can go nowhere else. Starting with listening to them talk to their girlfriends about you got to tear a man down to size to handle. They're all dogs to. You see, 42% of the American public being born out of wedlock at the 35 and under, it's much higher when it comes to our people. So even if you are being a good father, your boy is getting exposed to proportionately more boys who don't have a dad in the home place. Even if the child's born in wedlock, there's usually some kind of conflict between mom and dad that either has turned the home into a hell or wound up in a divorce and you get the same thing. Mothers who don't like the man coming back and putting that dislike into their son's head. 
I sent you that cartoon. Somebody sent it to me. You know, somebody's tipping out the back. You look at it as a shadow, but it's a phantom. And the mother's saying, I don't need a man. The daughter's saying, I don't want a man. And the young boy is saying, I don't want to be a man. Right. Mm-hmm. He is crazy. Wow. But anyway, you know, I got off of my point. But it's like, sisters, you got some reformation that you need to engage in. Brothers, we got to do our thing and be men. And with us, it's kind of like, we have the additional task of finding out what that means since we didn't get taught it in a lot of instances like boys usually get taught in a mainstream household. Mm-hmm. We have to find out on our own. Tearing down your community, got your hoes out doing stuff for you, or you simping off of some chick that's got a J-O-B and you don't, that's not being a man. That's just being a plantation Negro on a plantation where there's no cotton to pick and being the uh, ultimate extension of the process of making you into two-leg livestock that they no longer have the use for. It's like being a lard hog. Most short things is made from vegetable oil now. So what do you do with the lard hogs that you've bred to produce lard to use as short? They're obsolete. You know, that's what's happened to us to an extent. We have to turn that around. Mm. Wow. Blooded, but it's a reality. I mean, you said some, some interesting things. I'm not going to – you're a thought provocateur, I say. And there's going to be a lot of interesting comments I know online about what you have said today. There's a lot of food for thought there. And I think people should really consider the things you have said here because I think we're at a a point right now in society that we can't go backwards. you got to go forward some type of way. And there's going to be a cost to pay for that, for what, you know, we got to do. And so we got to start getting serious. I, I look at – I think a lot of us are more concerned about, you know, entertainment and – uh about basketball players, how much money they make in, and, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z, and this stuff don't really uh, have any type of effect on our day-to-day lives, which we are struggling in as black people, as as human beings in general. So I think what you offer, Judge, is very important right now in these urgent times. Thank you. It's like what we are victim to right now with the entertainment you're talking about, you mm-hmm. can see said it 2,000-some years ago, feed them in it, uh, entertain them, and they won't care what we do. He said, give them bread and circuses, are in the lot, don't they pioneer, except healthier. And uh, bottom line is, is that when you do that, they're complacent and compliant while you do what you want to do without having to worry about what they think or even the thinking. That's cool. Like, man, did you sick out LeBron? Man, man, dude is bad, man. And then what the heck does that have to do with whether your job is cool or whether you get jacked or whether your political choice is somebody that the feminists have put up at all costs, even though she's going to crunch you if you she got in office 
or you have some jerk who is beholden to Goldman Sachs running around talking nonsense. You don't get anything out of it. Yeah, man, the brother do down. No, what has he done for us? You know, what is this person doing? What ideation are they putting in my head? You know? Hey, before I go, yes, sir, before I go, I want to ask, have you seen that Tupac movie yet? No. The reason why I asked that is because last week, Wednesday in Memphis, they arrested or they sent out some arrest warrants, and then currently they are under arrest. Uh, Reggie White Jr. and his father, Reggie Wright Sr., Junior used to run death row for Suge when he was locked up or incarcerated. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say he was connected with the Tupac thing. He was a former police officer out in L.A. His father was a former Compton police officer. They was arrested by the United States government. Issue out of Memphis because they had a, a drug ring in Memphis that they was doing drug trafficking and money laundering with, along with a Mexican cartel. So they got arrested last Wednesday out in California. They arrested the leaders here in Memphis for drug trafficking and money laundering as well. And these guys were both police officers out in L.A. And I asked you, last time we talked, would it be possible for some of these guys to actually kill somebody like a Tupac or the Taurus B.I.G.? Yeah, has been alluded to. But, but you're saying, here's the deal. Out in L.A., mm-hmm. because of the very restrictive handgun carry stuff, if you needed a security man, you hired an off-duty cop. Mm-hmm. I did you know, I had bodyguards. They were all duty cops or retired cops. It just went down that way. Uh, you start doing that, you know, you're on the periphery. You become furniture. You hear all of the stuff that's being discussed. You don't listen, and then you start listening, and then you become part of it. It happens. Right. And besides, L.A. police, that's one of the reasons LAPD uh, got to be such Gestapo gangsters is because they used to be one of the most corrupt police departments in America. And their efforts to straighten them out, strengthen them to the point where in Los Angeles, the police ran City Hall instead of the other way around. Mm -hmm. So when you start having the police running the political process, you've got a mess. Yeah, because the Reggie Wright guy, the junior, he was responsible for security at Death Row. He you know, told the police officers to did security and bodyguard work. He did not allow anybody to bring guns to Las Vegas when Tupac was shot and killed. So he was responsible for controlling Tupac's entourage. It's like with JFK with the Secret Service. You know, it's funny how these people, they're supposed to be protecting you, they don't always do their job 100%. Or, they be, they're, or they're told not to do their job or stand, you know, or stand down. Well, and then something happens. Let's put it this way. I think what happened with Kennedy and how he got assassinated is that they weren't on top of the curve about securing fearless leaders' presence. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I don't think they would run a parade like that with somebody riding in an open vehicle. And that's the among tall buildings. They're going down the street with tall buildings? No, that's the other thing that bothers me about that shooting. I've toured the scene. I've even been there when they run that very limo around. Mm-hmm. I have an opinion. I don't think the shot came from the grassy knoll. 
which I think is an impossible shot because if anybody was standing in the way right along the curbside, well, Kennedy's head would have come about chest high, so you would have had to have been able to count on nobody standing in the wrong place to get in the way. It is a very difficult shot shooting from high elevation down. And on the angle, you have to lead the target and you have to shoot under your point of aim when you're shooting down. And my thought is, from looking at the scene and photographs, the shot came from a railway car on the railway bridge. There was one Mm -hmm. cop standing on that bridge looking at the parade. The road is such... (laughs) Excuse me. The road is such that it's running straight and level at the bridge uh, elevation. Even with the bridge, for a count of five, and then it drops as it's getting ready to go under the bridge and then curves to the left. So if somebody were on that bridge, there were seven. Excuse me, I had to sneeze. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. There are seven, if I recall, there were seven railroad tracks on that bridge, and there were several boxcars. There was only one cop, and he's facing the parade. Somebody would have had a clear, dead-on, point-blank rifle shot, somebody riding in that limo from a boxcar. My opinion, that's where the shot came from. I know some people believe too it might have came from the sewers. No, no it didn't. You don't think that's possible? Okay. I, I got a tour of that whole thing courtesy of some retired Dallas detectives. It's interesting. There is a sewer that if you take the, well, as a sewer that runs from the location out 400 some yards to uh, a vacant field. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that sewer line comes up. That comes up right there at the grassy knoll. Okay. Now, what I think could have happened is if anybody had a rifle, they could have taken the bolt out of the rifle, dropped the bolt and the rifle down through the grate on that sewer, and somebody could have taken it away. Now, I got a guided tour by two of the first detectives from Dallas Police Department on the scene, and I just asked them this question. I said, now, within about three or four minutes of this shooting, can you describe what was going on? And then they did. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Were there law enforcement people running around? Yeah. I said, how did you know they were? Well, I made the assumption. Were all of them in uniform? No. Were some of them in plain clothes? Yeah, a lot of them. Did you ask for their ID? No. Did some of them have rifles, shotguns, and things? Yeah, they did. Well, how do you know it was the cop that you were looking at? Well, they looked at each other kind of strange. So, you know, I just assumed that if you were running around with a rifle or a shotgun, you had to be one of the good guys. In other words, nobody's asking. So, well, you know, damn, we never thought of that. It was just chaos. And within five minutes, we had people we thought was Secret Service, state police, you know, and they had, one of them said, rifles and gun cases. 
I said, yeah, so somebody could have shot him from right over there. And we went over there as the limo was coming through on one of his circuits in commemoration. He said, well, I'll be damned. He said, that's a straight-on shot, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. Hmm. You don't have to leave, shoot under, just dead on. It's point blank for a rifle. And then here's another little loop I threw him. I said, try this. The limo to this day has the bullet hole in the windshield. Now, remember this bullet's supposed to come from behind, hit Kennedy from the back, deflected through his neck, hit Connors, the governor, and then gone out the front. Well, I asked them to conduct an experiment, which they did. They verified the predicted results, which is this. If you shot that window and the bullet went from the back to the front, it would bulge out. If it went from the front to the back, you'd have a nice clean hole in the windshield, just like actually in the windshield. Mm -hmm. In other words, if the shot came from the front, bingo, you get through the governor, you get him, and when you've got a full jacketed bullet, it's often hard or difficult if it's not close range to tell whether it was an entry wound or an exit wound. Full metal jacket bullets just kind of drill a straight hole. Unless they're really up close and then there is some hydrostatic tissue damage that is reflectable in the victim. But there's a whole bunch of questionable stuff about the autopsy anyway and some other background material I won't even get into. But it is crazy. So you get all kinds of stuff going on. This is just in reference to you having bought that Kennedy thing up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, back to the main bloody doggone issue. What are we going to do as a people about our situation? Right. We're getting outmoded by industrial technology and computerization. We drop out of school. We clown. We get to watching LeBron play basketball. Great. He's a great basketball player. Mm-hmm. Not putting any money in your pocket, and the chances of you playing for the NBA are statistically nil. So what yep. do you do? Wasting your time. You aren't learning the skill, trade, occupation. You're not improving your mind, your cognitive skills. You aren't putting any information or magic up in there so you can work spells. You know, uh, you just become somebody that's marginally employable, and the job market is getting so marginal becomes unemployable and that means you get put in the labor warehouse aka penitentiary hmm. wow well just ain't gonna hold up no more of your time on this special day you should be out there celebrating yourself because you are a a true gift to the people and i just want to thank you for taking time out your birthday to tell us these things about ourselves and what we need to be doing as a people, like what Dr. King said, where do we go from here? Well, and I, know, yeah. I want you to do me this favor. The next time, give me a little notice so I can plan it out to be coherent and detailed. Yes, sir. Uh, like uh, Professor Truth, he writes that stuff out so he doesn't make any stumbles or fumbles. And you catch me by surprise that I'm just doing this off of the top of my head without being able to sit down and organize it. 
You know, you freestyle him. Well, that's impressive though. You can do that on top of your head at any given moment. That's impressive. That's what they call it hip hop freestyle. <laughs> I know. I'm writing a book, so I'm trying to hurry up and get the thing finished so I can get that out there. And maybe we'll see me on television again. But I will say this. If you're interested, make inquiries, because it looks like they're trying to blackball me so I don't get this knowledge back out there again. Mm-hmm. We're running into, wait, this doesn't make sense. This was a hit show he had, and there's still a demand. You see it on YouTube. People watch stuff on the right. you know. Uh, there's a demand to hear what he's got to say and a respect for what he says. What's wrong with this picture? Well, he got too big, so we got to cut him down. Hmm. Wow. Judge, we're going to definitely give you a a notice ahead. I was just trying to wish you happy birthday, but, like, every time I talk to you, you always have some some jewels or some wisdom to impart. And I feel like it's my duty uh, to, you know, spread the word about, you know, what you're doing to help you amplify what you're doing and what you're saying. Because people are hungry for this information. I get phone calls and emails and, you know, you get interview requests and whatnot because what you're saying and who you are, you are very much re- relevant to the conversation that we need to be having because there's a lack of leadership. It's really, I've never seen, it's very dismal. And it's very depressing as a black man to see how we are made to feel so inadequate and inferior about our situation, so helpless. Yeah, Even, now, you know. Just put it this way. Out of the history of this city, for entertainment, they've had Elvis Presley. They've had one or two others, uh, you know. But in terms of where I got to and what I was doing, you would think Memphis would give me a little more respect, wouldn't you? Yeah. But they don't. See, I get neutralized when I come to this city, even though I live here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. It's like we don't want anybody that could really exercise power to be given the opportunity to shine where he can exercise it close at hand. But that's just a temporary hiatus. So I'm trying to groom some young people. And one last message before I get out of here. It's back to the sisters. I'm not trying to down you understand, this is out of love, if you got to say it that way. Mm-hmm. But everybody's got to get to get his or her act together. Exactly. Black men certainly have enough flaws that we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. But sisters, you've got some too, and they aren't recognized. So word up, get your stuff together, correct it so your sons can make you proud, even if they die, but dial die for a cause rather than just for no cause at all. I'm glad you said that because I remember I had a couple of years ago called Fred Hampton Sr.'s mom, Chairman Fred Hampton Sr. of the Black Panther Party who was murdered by the FBI. Yeah, I had called her, you know, and I asked her, are you the Fred Hampton Sr.'s mom? And she said, yes. And I said, I just want to thank you for the sacrifice of your son. You raised a, a, a phenomenal son. And thank you for allowing him to sacrifice himself for a good cause, for our cause. And she was thankful for it. But I didn't even know until recently that she also was the babysitter for Emmett Till. 
Yeah. Like, he used to babysit Amy Till when he was young. Yeah. <laughs> like, when he was young, he was just 14 when he died, but I'm saying when he was a little kid, she was babysitting. So this woman had this profound connection to our history of liberation and struggle, but she raised a son who was under surveillance by the government when he was 14 or 15 years old and was killed by the same government when he was 21 sleeping next to his pregnant fiance. Well, here's the thing. If you, there's an interesting thing about Emmett Till. After they had that murder trial, the Post magazine paid all of those rednecks who murdered him for an mm-hmm. So since they weren't worried about federal prosecution, there was no jurisdiction that the feds had at the time. Right. Told the story. And you mm-hmm. know, Till just said basically, if you kiss my behind, you know. Right. And I read it. Look, man, again. He he manned up. He went down with dignity. You know, they did mm. him in. They couldn't break him. So you believe what they were saying was true? They were truthful about his demeanor and character at the end. Oh yeah, they were putting it out as with the mindset they had or would have had at the time. They wouldn't have covered up what he did because what they were talking about was supposed to be, look, it was a rabid dog. Look what he did. Look what he said. These are dangerous negros. Mm-hmm. So they broke it down, and they were attempting to justify what they did. So they just told it matter-of-factly as it was. In other words, it's like you're on a hunt, mm-hmm. and it's for an animal that can come back and bite you. So you talk about what the animal did on the hunt, but since you've got four or five people there who were present, you can't lie like you would if it was just the big fish who got away. Right. You know, so that's just the dynamics of the thing. But he was a good brother, and I find it interesting. I did not know that, that Hampton's mother also babysat this boy. And maybe what was happening is at some point in time, this mother and Emmett Till's mother put some manhood in the boy's head. Now, I met Emmett Till's mother. I met her on several occasions. No, Mamie Till Mobley, okay. And I've had extended conversations with her mm. over the years. And she's a good woman, and, you know, she's got her head square on her shoulders. And I am quite certain that she attempted to put manhood in Timmy's head and I know she was proud of her boy having taken it like a man. Mm. You know, he didn't honk out. Well, that's something to say. I mean, yeah, it is interesting. Even his father died crazy. I mean, under questionable circumstances, the U.S. military executed his father because they said the only way she could identify him is because of the ring he lived from his late father, uh, Louis Till. And uh, they said he alleged he was raping and murdering white women over in Europe. And people questioned that. Did he get a fair trial or whatnot? But they executed him, and he's buried over in Europe. And, and the undesired. Yeah. For his early 50s, no, he did not get a fair trial. Okay. 
You see, at that point in time, the U.S. military was dominated by Southern officers. Mm-hmm. You know, at James Eastland, he leaked the information out to the press, similar to James Eastland, when the trial was going on with the two brothers who killed Emmett Till. It's like they, how they do it today, they want to blame the black person who's a victim for their path or where the association is associated with. Because they're trying to say if the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. If his father did this, then the son was on his way. That's how they justify some guys getting off killing Emmett Till. Yeah. See, it's a big thing. See, this is a U.S. senator, and he's backing all that nonsense up. You see, it's a mindset. We, for them, and to some of them, still are animals. Mm -hmm. You know, they are cat lovers and they're dog lovers. And they are what you've ever, you've heard them, uh, they use the word, a nigger lover. Right. That's like somebody saying somebody's a cat lover, somebody's a dog lover. With them, it's like, there are those white people who like Negro animals. Mm-hmm. There are those white people who like cats and those who like dogs. Mm-hmm. We're not taken as fully human. Mm-hmm. Some of them probably would do well to take some of these DNA tests. <laughs> and see what comes back on their chart. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing, the royal family in Europe, they, they got black people all in their family. Like Queen Charlotte, she was black on mix. In the house of Mecklenburg was Charlotte, North Carolina's name after King George III's wife, who was the king of England. His wife was basically a black woman. I mean, you look at her portrait, she all looked very black, like light-skinned black person with hair and lips and nose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she was the queen of England. So, I mean, all them, they mixed in. That's the case. Well, you have to get into the genetic background of Englishmen. And to a great extent, from where they came from, a lot of what they ultimately did was making up for... In other words, black people need more of it. In other words, you give yourself a self-esteem boost. See, Englishmen were savages. Julius Mm. Caesar went over there and kicked some butt, and then some other Romans came back uh, not long after, and they subdued the English islands. So England became, you know, an extension of Rome. Mm-hmm. In the 5th century, 410 A.D., they drew the last legions out of England because they needed them to defend against the Germans encroaching in the rest of the empire. Now, those last three legions had been, for the most part, recruited from Egypt and sub-Saharan Africa, which meant they were literally were black. So for most of 100 years, you had three legions occupying England with a lot of blacks in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were screwing the devil out of the Celtic peasant women. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of England has black or African genetics from that point in time. And then, let's see, when you had Ferdinand and Isabella and Christopher Colombo appealing to Ferdinand and Isabella in 1492 to go check out a new route to India in its riches, well, they had defeated Islam, which ran Spain. It was known as El Andalus for about 500 years. And they gave the Jews the choice of getting out, being burned in the state, or converting to Catholicism. And the Muslims, a choice of converting to Catholicism, getting out, or becoming mercenaries in Spain's armies. A lot of them chose that. The cavalry in particular was famous throughout Europe. It was a light cavalry, and it was uh, an Islamic collect- collection of Muslims, Muslims. And they came from the House of Fulani, which is northern Nigeria. So those House of Fulani cavalrymen wound up going where the Spanish went including to the Netherlands. So when you'll get Henry VIII and that upset about the Protestant Reformation and anything, the Netherlands allies itself with Ireland, and Torquemada was burning heretics at the stake down in Spain. So a lot of Jews and a lot of former House of Fulani Calvary stayed up in Netherlands and they also went to Ireland and then they hooked up with the Scots so there was another influx of black genetics into the English mix and then finally when in the 1740s they freed the slaves in England they had about a million and a half African slaves and they didn't deport them They just blended in and intermarried and intermixed with the English. So that's a third big influx of African genes into the English population. And that is between the 18th and then up into the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of common uh, English commoners with that in them. And then from the... Anglo part of the whole thing, there is a great deal of African that is in that mix because of the Roman Empire. So you were going to get Europeans with a lot of that in there. Yeah, historically, since we're just rambling here, the system of capitalism, which was invented in the Middle Ages, got its primary source of capital from the nascent slave trade that went up and down East Africa and that some of the merchants out of Italy and other places were engaging in. You'd have slaves bring ivory out you'd sell the slaves and the ivory, the pepper, the spices, and stuff like that. 
So the sale of slaves provided basically the initial surplus that was used as the foundation for the system of capitalism. That isn't even any radical black. We studied that at UCLA in political science and economics back in the 60s when it wasn't a matter of black studies or anything. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, wow, we whooped (laughs) it. Thank you so much, man. We needed this after this. I guess post, post, post of new lives or old lives, you know, we needed your, your wisdom and spirit and uh, information to get us out on the good foot, you know. I know people still trying to recover. I know it happened in the middle of the week with this 4th of uh, July stuff uh, going on, and people were celebrating very hard. Like, you know, like it's funny to me. It's not funny in a hard, hard way that black folks, we really do go out of way celebrating 4th of July and Juneteenth. And yet, are we really free? And while no, the words free. of Frederick Douglass, 4th of July, why are they still relevant? <laughs> well, let me say this about 4th of July. Okay. Actually, it should be celebrated on the 2nd of July. Okay. And there's an interesting thing about July 2nd. I don't want to down anybody, but if you're born on July 2nd, you have a tendency to be a little crazy, a little bipolar. That's horoscopically. And this country is a bit bipolar. But Mm -hmm. we were in this stuff from the first, and this is where we live. And we've certainly put in as much equity work as any race in this country. The only ones that have been here longer are the English and the Scots. And from the point they put the input in for the Revolutionary War, we did too. So every war this country has been in, we paid our dues. So don't feel ashamed about celebrating the 4th of July. You don't even have to take it as a commemoration of the United States coming into being, or at least the Santa Cedars. It's a celebration of we live here. We've lived here a very long time. We have no other home that we got raised in. If you want to take it that way. Mm. You know, like in my house, you know, we got bad things going on in the neighborhood, but this is my house. That's right. Juneteenth, though, is an embarrassment. I've told you about that. I don't want to hold you up, but I'm going to send you a book you should get from Amazon. Okay. And everybody ought to get that book. It might be difficult to go through, but if you get it as an e-book through a Kindle app, all of the numerous references that are in there serve as links. And when you touch them, it'll take you to the books and to the places in those books so you can study. It might take you a long time going through this because it's no lightweight book. It just takes you from our ape ancestors up through the first civilizations. And each section deals with the competing theories on what happened. So you don't just get one outlook, you get at least two. Mm-hmm. 
French dismissed the thing on us. One of our problems may have been because we were very advanced in that we skipped the Bronze Age. We went directly from stone to iron. The secret of working with iron is simple but complex. To work iron and make steel of it, you had to know how to build the right kind of fire. That's the secret to iron, just the fire. So we quickly learned how to build the fire. And thousands of years before everybody got to the Bronze Age, Sub-Saharan Africa got to an Iron Age. But that made it so technologically advanced that literally there was an iron wall built between southern, well, sub-Saharan Africa and the rest of the world. And unfortunately, it looks like it was so strong in terms of what iron weapons could do to hold back people who were using flint, bronze, and stuff for several thousand years is it cut us off from technological advance otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it gave us a leg up, and then it retarded us for a long time. So Europe was able to bypass us in terms of its technology, and we're just now catching back up. Uh It's interesting, but it's a book to read. I'll send you the cover of it, a picture of it, as soon as we get off. Okay. And also, I want to piggyback what you said about July 2nd being a a day for uh, bipolar people. And some of the people who were born July 2nd it includes Patrice Lumumba, Sergio Marshall, and Mega Evans. They all were born July 2nd. So yeah. <laughs> hey, it takes the crazy maladjusted, Dr. King said, to change the world and save humanity. Yeah, it does. And then on the other hand, I got an ex wife who was born on July 2nd. <laughs> let's just put it that way. That's the downside, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Doug. I know about Thurgood Marshall. He's a frat brother, a cool brother, very mm-hmm. courageous brother who used his mind to pick up the magic and get ahead of things. See, mm. we tend to look down on using the mind except as a hustle. But believe me, education can open the door. And for the white world, it's interesting. Those who made it happen, even if they were warriors, were not uneducated for their time and place and day. So just keep that as a word up. That's good. You talked about that drug bust that went down. Mm-hmm. Well, a few years ago, there was a big bust about a brother from Memphis hooking up with one of Mexico's largest drug cartels. Okay, Pettis. Yeah, Pettis. Mm-hmm. Pettis dropped out of the second grade, but Pettis did something else. That's when he got down to Mexico, he wound up going to the University of Mexico and getting degrees, and he had found out that doing what he did was improved by being able to be intellectually sound. Mm, I didn't know that. Wow. 
from being a dropout to a college grad. Mm. We have to pick that up. It's like, for example, there's a famous Harlem gangster. They made a movie out of it with Russell Crowe playing the detective. Oh, Frank Lucas. Yeah, yeah. American Gangster Denzel. Russell Crowe's character, the detective, wound up investigating and prosecuting the guy, and then Russell Crowe became a lawyer. Well, the character did. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a cop, and he wound up being the gangster's lawyer later on. Right. But the guy that set him up graduated from Howard University. Not set him up to be busted, but was the crook that he took over from. Mm. So he was the one that was running the heroin racket. The way he was running it to get the drugs into America was the Vietnam War was going on. So he was having his boys over in the Nam put the drugs into the corpses of the dead soldiers. And when they would come back, they'd open the coffins up and get the drugs out of the bodies. And that's how they were getting them into the U.S. Mm. Few people would have thought of that. Wow. Judge, I want to thank you so much once again for spending time on your special day, like I said before, uh, dispersing this knowledge and wisdom and that we need at this time, there's very uncertain times, but they're going to be very hopeful and optimistic times that we do what we need to do in the fierce urgency of now and get it done with no excuses. So I want to thank you once again. And people can follow you on Twitter at Judge Joe Brown TV, correct? That's right. That would be the best way to keep up with you and also get in touch with you, correct? That's probably about the best way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, thank by you the so- way, uh-huh. that book is Humans from the Beginning, and oh. the author is Christopher Seddon, S-E-D-D-O-N. Okay. It's called Humans from the Beginning. You can get it on Amazon, and it's less expensive if you get it as an e-book. If you've got an iPhone or a Kindle, not Kindle, iPhone or BlackBerry or a smartphone, what you do is get the Kindle app. Mm -hmm. On Amazon, you'll have to use a desktop. You can't get it through your cell phone. But go to the desktop. And what you do is you order from Amazon Humans from the Beginning by Christopher Seddon or Sedan. I don't know how to pronounce it. And you download that and make yourself read it. That's right. You will find that a lot of what's going on today reflects the same thing that's been going on throughout early history and prehistory. And Mm. this thing about climate, civilization after civilization after civilization or early development bought it because the climate tanked. Or Mm. humans overextended themselves and wrecked the environment. We're up on today so you'll understand at least that. But anyway... Enough, brother. I'm going to go out here and at least 
take a breath of fresh air outside the house. Okay, you need to do that. You owe it to yourself because you are definitely a fresh breath of air as a person, as a man, as an intellect, scholar, activist, public servant. So we thank you so much. And the words are great to get and we love you madly. Keep on producing and pushing. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.